Welcome back to another lesson of Bill Purvis Leadership. This month, Dr. Purvis will teach the six tools that every great leader has in their toolbox. These skills are sure to take you to the next level. Come with us and find out what's inside the toolbox of great leaders. All right, I want to welcome you to Bill Purvis Leadership. And uh, I want you to know right off the bat that I am thrilled to be able to share with you in this time together some of the things that I know are going to make a real difference in your life. So staff and team and those of you that are listening today, uh, I want to just uh, lay this out for you. After almost 30 years of leading and studying leadership and, uh, and hanging out with some real serious leaders, I want to pass on to you some of the things that I know are going to work for you. I can assure you they will. And the very fact that you're listening right now tells me that you want to grow. So I'm not going to waste any of your time. I want to get right to it and let's get started. When I was a freshman in college, I got a job as an apprentice in an air conditioning repair company. And um, my first day on the job, I, I realized that all the other people around me had a toolbox. I didn't have one. You know, I went to work that day, and everybody else had the toolbox and threw it in their truck, and, and I didn't have one. I was assigned at that point to help the best repairman that they had. And so uh, we went off that day, and, and I would hand him tools that he asked for. And I didn't know much about tools, whatever he asked for. A lot of times I'd have to ask him to describe it. But I'd hand him tools, and then he'd send me on assignments, and I'd run back and forth to the truck and bring him things while he fixed air conditioners. And um, before the end of the day, I asked him a question. I said, do you, do you mind if I take a look inside of your toolbox? And he said, sure. So he opened up his box, and I looked in, and I started picking up things, asking him questions. And then after work, I remember that day real well. After work, I, I got in my car, and I drove over to the local Kmart, now, I didn't know anything at that time about Sears. I didn't know they sold the best tools, but I went over to Kmart. And I remember walking down the aisle over there, and for the first time, I went and bought me a toolbox. And I began to see some of the things that he had had in his box, and I put them in my box. And I remember coming home that day and thinking, tomorrow's going to be a great day at work because I've got the tools now in my box that the people that are doing the job have in their box. And what I want to tell you right now is this truth that I believe that's why I call this the tools of great leadership. I believe that every leader has his own toolbox. I believe it's what's in his bag uh, that's going to make the difference. You know, the concept is, is what do I have that I can bring to the table? And so what I want to do for you right now in these few moments together is, is I want us today to uh, snoop around in the toolbox of the true leaders that we know in life. And let's just kind of nose around and then just, just see what's in there. You know, ask the questions, why and and is it useful, and do we have it in our box? And, and that way, if we can evaluate our life properly, we can decide, maybe I've got these tools already and didn't know I had them. Oftentimes, I see a leader, and I'll say, you know, you really got the right tools. You just don't know it. And then there are others that they could get them if they knew where to get them from or what to do. And so with that in mind, let me help you today to understand the tools of great leadership. And I want to just describe for you a couple of the tools that you need to have in your box, all right? Let's get started. Here they are. Number one, the first tool that I believe that you need in your box is hunger and desire. I believe the bottom line is this. I've never met a growing leader in my life that didn't have this tool. Let me explain it. We just uh, the other day opened up a sales force over here at Bill Purvis Leadership, and we began to bring in people that wanted to make extra money. And uh, they said, listen, I'd like to be able to make more money than what I'm doing where I am without a lid and not have to give up my day job. So we created a way that a lot of guys can make a lot of money doing the things they need to do and uh, doing their job and growing in leadership. And by the way, if any of you are interested, uh, you give us a call and we'll help you to be able to get involved on the ground floor 
and I think it will help you to be able to have uh, more financials, uh, blessings, and resources, and at the same time to, uh, to grow in leadership. So uh, that's an offer for you. But here was what was interesting. At the last month's reporting, our salespeople got together and they discovered the same exact problem. One of them reported to me this way. They said, they said Bill, uh, I've gone to many pastors and churches, and this is what I've discovered. The smallest stagnant church, I mean the ones that are just dead, they had pastors who were unteachable and uninterested in personal growth. And they said, and then uh, I, I kept thinking, you know, you're the guy that needs it most. You know, you know you're the guy that, that somehow ought to, ought to be getting it. I'm, I'm bringing you the life jacket. You're the one drowning. And they couldn't see it. He said a lot of times, the problem was a lot of them, he said, were just proud. And some of them were just hard to talk to. And he said they had 20 people and, and acted as if they were, uh, you know, the, the, the next successor to, to uh, Robert Shuler or something or Jerry Falwell or Joel Osteen. He said you would think by being around them that they were on top of the food chain. And then, and then they told us this. And their notes were all the same. This was funny. He said, they discovered that the, that the pastors and the leaders that, that were the most receptive. They said, man, I want that monthly material. I want to grow and things like that. He said, guess what? They were already growing churches. He said, uh, they were hungry to grow. And yet, at the same time, they were already experiencing some growth. And they said, you know what's funny is we'd go to a place that we would think, well, he might not want it. And he'd be starting to grow, and he'd say, that guy was just salivating for it. He said they would open their hearts. They asked for more. They said, what else have you got? And, and the consensus was this. He said, the growing ones, it was, like, it was like there were lions at feeding time. Now, what I'm telling you is this. This is what that is saying when you observe that. Think of this. The dead, stagnant, non-growing didn't want to grow, and the ones that were growing wanted to grow. You know why? Because it's the DNA of a leader. Leaders have a hunger and a desire to grow. And that is the first tool that they put in their toolbox. Uh, Attila the Hunt had one time said, you can't make a leader of someone that doesn't want to be. You know, the first thing is that desire. You got to want to grow. And so that's the first step. And, and, and obviously, those of you listening, you, you already got that. So the good news is you're already starting to stand in the strike zone. Let me give you the second one. The second one that I believe is this. The second tool in a growing leader's toolbox is uh, commitment. Uh, th they know how to get neck deep. You know, they, they don't quit easily. Now, every leader I know has had the very same problems that people that, uh, that are non-leaders have. They have the very same stuff, okay? Um, and, and yet, here's what's interesting. The, the difference is, whether they're in a corporation or a church or whether they're in any other field, they know this. They just stay committed. You ever watch some of these winning football teams and some of those teams get out there and what they do is, is they find themselves, uh, you know, uh, playing the game where it's tough and it's hard, and, and boy, it looks like they're not going to get anywhere. But their commitment to keep on keeping on has a way of turning that game around. And the difference is that those people that are devoted to commitment, they don't run out. When you begin to look in the Bible, you begin to discover things like, you know, the Joshuas, and, uh, and you know, when the, you've got the, uh, the Amalekites in front of them, and yet he stands there and and uh, leads that battle so that they might win. When you find the Davids walking out there saying, I'm not going to be afraid of this giant. And I'm going to do this for the cause of my nation. And you begin to look throughout the Bible at those people that were committed all the way. I love the fact that it says about Jesus is that he set his face like a flint. Uh, that is, he, he began to look toward Calvary 
And he decided, I'm going to Calvary regardless of what it costs me. I mean, there was plenty of times he could have given up and quit. But Jesus, our greatest leader, was devoted to his character of commitment. Uh, those that are committed, they don't lose faith. They're not, they don't swerve. Uh, they don't, they're willing to go it alone. You know, that's the thing I like about leaders like that that's in that toolbox when we talk about commitment. They say, here's where I'm going. And if you don't want to go with me, that's fine. Watch me. But if you want to go with me, get on board. It's going to be fun. And they, they understand, I, I'm willing to go alone. When you see a real leader, here's what you're going to find. One thing that stands out above everything else is the greater the challenge, the higher they rise. I mean, they're willing to say, I will step up to the plate. And their commitment, it could be in a number of areas, by the way. Their commitment could be to finish the job they started. You know, some people say, I'm not about to walk out. I'm, I'm going to finish this. And I want to challenge some of you that are pastors or some of you that are leaders right now. Here's where it's going to get bumpy for you. And I've had this over and over and over in my ministry and life. Things will be growing, and then all of a sudden the devil comes from out of nowhere. And, boy, I mean, he, he hits you from every direction. He may hit you with your friends or your family, or he may hit you with a disgruntled member or something like that. And, and, and there have been bumps all along the road to the success that we have. And in every one of those bumps, I've said, this is not the time to leave. Now, I want to challenge some of you leaders that some of you weren't trained for this. You went to seminary, you learned the Greek and the Hebrew, and you learned how to preach a sermon. But the problem was they didn't teach you how to put on your pants and stand there strongly and firmly with the armor of God on when the battle came. And what you're going to do if you allow them to always keep moving you around, if every time there's somebody disgruntled, you pack up and run or you call U-Haul, you're never going to do anything great. You know, you've got to learn to say, I'm going to stand in here. I used to tell these folks this way. Sometimes when they get disgruntled with me, they say, well, you know, I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave. I said, well, good. It's easier for you to leave. I'd rather, it's a lot easier for you to uh, move your membership than for me to move my furniture. So I, I intend to stay. And when they realize that, they realize I'm going to be committed to finish the job. It could be for you, some of you, that commitment may be a commitment to excellence. I love going into a church or going into a company and seeing that you can almost eat off the floors, that the pain is fresh, that the doors don't squeak, that they have taken the, uh, the initiative to say our, our place is going to be excellent. We're not going to have misspelled words in our bulletin. We're not going to have dirty desks and fingerprints all over the glass. We're going to have a committed place. Here's my belief, especially those of you that are pastors listening. I believe that God's house is more important than the White House. And I think if we will keep it clean and keep it excellent, it will say to other people that what we have to say and what we're involved in is very important. And so there's a challenge here. Your commitment could be to finish a job or be excellent at what you do. It could be the best at customer service. You may, you, you may not have the greatest choir, but if you've got the greatest people at the front door shaking hands, you'll continue to keep that place full. And so the, the secret is find out where I can be committed to giving my very best. You may be committed to being a good problem solver, and you're able to look around and say, here's some weaknesses, but we're committed to figuring out what are the four or five problems that we have going on in our organization, maybe in our job or our business. What are the, what are the four or five things that are going on that we know are problems, and we haven't taken the time to try to figure those out? And so you could be committed to doing that. The secret is this. People that are committed, that have that commitment to do their very best in their toolbox, uh, they're going to be anchoring their leadership in a way that others can never do. All right, so we've got it now, all right? The first two pieces of tools you've got to have is hunger and desire and commitment. Let me give you a third one, all right? The third tool that I see in a leader's uh, toolbox, and, and this is one of the things that I'm, I'm asked this a lot of times about, how do you get here? So 
Let me help you with this, all right? Uh, staff, I know that some of you wonder about how you do this, and some of you that are friends here, you're, you're wondering the same thing. Here's one of the things that I noticed. The third tool I see in a leader's toolbox is connections. Now, let me explain it this way. Look closely at the friends of those that are leaders. They are either leaders themselves or they are people who are growing and rising into leadership. Uh, you'll discover, I get phone calls all the time from young pastors that are growing and, and uh, email from them, and these guys are they're moving up the ranks. You'll discover that, that leaders have around them either other leaders or they'll have uh, rising leaders waiting in the wings. True leaders don't hang out with losers, all right? Uh, bottom line is this. Uh, they, they don't want to be a leader of a few who are going nowhere. Uh, they don't want to hang out with a bunch of posers. They don't want to spend their time going to all the meetings and all the conferences and running around with non-leaders. A true leader wants to get something. And, uh, and I really believe that if you've got the goods, you, you become the leader and, and you'll discover they'll come to you. The, the question I've often asked is this, how do you meet the leaders that you know? A lot of times they'll say, Bill, well, how'd you get to know them? And they act like there's some secret. Like I went up and knocked on some guy's door and said, hey, I want to get acquainted. It never happened that way. My belief is this. If you will do a good job where you are, you'll show up on a leader's radar screen. He'll, he'll find you. You don't have to go looking. He'll write you or call you or let you know, man, I saw you, I watched you, or somebody came across my path that you had influenced their life. And so the secret is this. You be the best you can be. And the good news is this, you'll find yourself in the company of those other people. I remember watching a ball game one night where I saw that uh, Greg Maddox was standing out here on, and talking, and Mark McGuire came up, and they were talking prior to the ball game, and, um, and had a friend with me, and he, and he knew somebody that was a journalist, and he said, guess what? He said, to his knowledge, they had never hung out together, but both of them knew of each other. And so they began to talk that night. And so standing about 15 feet away from them, I watched these two great leaders in their field of baseball talking with great respect for each other, having looked like it's the first time they ever met. But you know what? They both knew what the other one did. That's what, that's what leaders do. That's their connection issue. And so uh, the answer to becoming the best leader you can be is, uh, is for you to be the best you can be, and you'll, you'll discover your phone will ring one day. Fourth two. Let me give you the fourth one. Fourth tool to leadership, it ought to be in the box, and this one is probably one of the most important for this reason. Um, it's going to be your staying power. It's called character. Um, bottom line is this, you can go to the top without it. I've always said you can go to the top without character, without integrity. You can get there faster without it. Actually, integrity and character will get in your way if you just want to get to the top. You, you can go to the top without it, and you can get there fast without it, but you can't stay there without it. And, and I'm telling you, we're living in a day when you and I need to understand that we want to just do something that's not a flash in the pan. We want to stay with it. And if you want to build something that lasts, and you want to have a, a ministry or, a, or an organization that is respected in the long haul, then you've got to build on a foundation of character. So you've got to have something of substance underneath that surface. Character is going to be your integrity, your values. That's going to be the convictions that support your success. And so no matter how much pressure they put on top, you know, the good news is this. With character, you're going to still sleep easy because you know the pressure on top can't crumble that foundation you've got below. Now, 
that's going to mean this for us, okay? And we've got to check ourselves. There comes a time in our life, and I've always said this, comes a time that, uh, that nobody can hurt you, but you can hurt yourself. So you've got to police yourself. And, and that's going to mean doing some things a little bit different. Here's what I challenge some of you young staff, some of you young guys that are trying to grow right here. Um, my suggestion is this. Be true to right principles in your life when nobody else is watching. You know, it, it, when, when, you're, when you're buying something and a lady miscounts at the grocery store or the, or the fast food store, and you know that she gave you back a dollar more than you owe, and you could walk out that door and keep that dollar, don't do it. Uh, when, when you could buy a newspaper and you open the box and you realize you didn't have to put your 50 cent in there, you could have got one, put your 50 cent in anyway. Uh, integrity means doing the right thing when nobody else is watching. Because you're not trying to get away with something. You're trying to build a life that if you step outside those parameters, your own alarm bells go off. And, and I'm telling you, folks, those of you listening to me, listen carefully. I see way too many people that are taking shortcuts and thinking they're going to pay off, and they won't. Well, the, the, the real secret, don't worry about what everybody else thinks. Do it God's way. Do it the right way. And, and even though you'll have some bumps and even though you'll have accusations, the good news is this. Like Simon Peter said, don't, don't be afraid if you get false accusations. It's all right to be accused. Just make sure it's false. And so you want to make sure there's no crack in the character side of your life. Be, be honest with yourself in the starting places of your life. Now, that means if you're going to lose money or you're going to lose friends or you're going to lose popularity or the spotlight or whatever, doesn't matter. What's most important is that you can lay your head on your pillow at night and say, if I had to do that decision over again, I wouldn't change a thing. I'd do it that right seven days a week and twice on Sunday. And I'm telling you, God will bless that. You know the reason that God favored and blessed people like Daniel in the Bible? It's because of what he was in his private life. And, and so the, the private life, and, and listen to me carefully now, the private life is the real you, all right? The public life is what people think of us. But the private life is the real us. That's who we really are. And, uh, and, and God cannot bless us with the big things in life until we've proven that we're going to be upright in the small private things. So that's a secret there that I promise you. At the end of the day, if you had, if you had to say, throw out everything out of your toolbox, what will you keep? That's the one thing that I would say value as your most guarded possession is your character. Uh, number five, let me give you the fifth one. Um, Here's the fifth one that I think is very important, and, and, uh, and I believe it works for you. I, it's a difference that you'll see between true leaders and posers, okay? There are a lot of folks I know that, man, when I run into them at meetings or conferences or wherever you got to be, and there'll be guys that are just posers. I mean, they, they read all the books. They know all the material. They know all the stuff. They can talk the lingo. But this is the telltale sign whether the guy or the lady is the real deal or not. I call it exhibit respect. Exhibit respect. And, and what I mean by that is I don't know of one great leader who doesn't exhibit respect. When you see a person who cannot show respect, you just showed me a non-leader. True leaders value people, and they value the principle of giving respect. Uh, in our church, here's what's interesting. In our church, we're close to the uh, Army base out here. We get a lot of these officers that come through our church. It's a wonderful experience because you meet them, get a chance to, to be a part of their lives, and then they move from here, and they actually become missionaries all over the world. We're always reaching people for Christ here. 
that are missionaries to the world by way of Fort Benning, Georgia. And uh, we'll get some high-ranking officers here. Sometimes we've had a general sitting here. When I look out and I see a general or a very successful business person, here's what I always notice. They'll approach me after the service, and they give me the highest respect. I find myself in the presence of the higher the leader, the greater the respect. Uh, they act like they don't want to en encroach on my time. They respect my time. They respect my work. And, and they treat me in a different way. Now, people that don't show respect and think they're a leader, they remind me of donkeys in the Kentucky Derby. I mean, they just don't fit. And, and when I see somebody that comes in and they, and they treat waitresses bad or they treat other people bad or they, they act without respect toward other people, they just told me a telltale sign. They'll never reach the place where they'll ever be seen as a leader. Your best leaders are always respectful. I, I was on an airplane recently, and um, one of the great leaders that's always on television got on the airplane. Of all things, he was sitting right in front of me to my left. And, uh, and I didn't talk to him, and he didn't talk to me. He didn't know me, and, and I, I just watched him. And everybody on the plane knew he was there, and they watched him. But I'll tell you one of the things I noticed. I noticed how respectful he was. I noticed how that he, he was willing to take anything that the stewardess was willing to give him, that he didn't have to have so much ice in his glass. I noticed that he stepped up and stood out of the way for a lady came by with a baby. And I noticed, I said, this guy's not only great in the eyes of the world, but this guy's great privately, and that's probably what made him that way. And I saw other people sitting all around me, and i got to be honest with you, that I wouldn't know them from Adam's house cat, and they probably have never done anything in their life. They were the most disrespectful to everybody around them. And so it's just one of those secrets that I promise you, if you will honor that value, it will bring you honor one day in the long run. Let me give you the last one. last tool I think you ought to put in your box is what I call conscientiousness. Uh, you know what that means? That means I want to do the right things. I'm bothered over little things. Demanding excellence, always improving. In the toolbox of every great leader that I know, they have a desire to improve, a desire to never leave things worse, but always leave them better than they found them. For true leaders, it's, it's never about the money. That's the funny thing about it. True leaders, it's not about the money. It's not about how big their business is or if they're number one out there. They don't need recognition. Uh, they, they, they have a conscientious approach to life. that They just want to satisfy themselves for having done the best. Their great battle is not against somebody else, but it's against themselves, always pushing themselves. Now, now let me say this to wrap it up for you, okay? And I thank you so much. Y'all have been so good, and those of you listening, man, my, my hope for you is that Bill Purvis' leadership will help to challenge you in some ways. Uh, these are some of the tools that I see in a leader's toolbox. If you notice... Most of these tools that I just mentioned, they're all internal tools. You see, we've got a world of people around us, and they're trying to be leaders by working on the external. Sometimes they're looking for a magic bullet. They're looking for that one special idea, that one key, that one principle that's going to propel them to greatness. And, and I just want to tell you, honestly, it's not there. The secret is in the daily lifestyle. The secret is the DNA of a person. And so if our DNA becomes one that we say, I want to learn all these things and live those out, I guarantee you, you will find success at the end of that will be following you around every corner. I want to thank you so much today. I, I honestly wish the very best for you. Those of you that are part of the Bill Purvis Leadership Ministry here, uh, together you and I are going to grow to our full potential. And I want to hear from you as you do, and I want to pray for you all the way that God will make you the blessing to others that I believe you've always wanted to be. Let me pray for you and with you for a moment. Father, in the name of Jesus, for every one of those listening today, 
Help us from the inside out to be true to the values that you've written before us and, and to live out a life and to walk through the doors, whether they're difficult or whether easy, with our eyes focused firmly on the, on the, on the goal of being the very best we can be for you. So use our life, use our jobs, use our gifts, use our ministries, use everything in our life to bring glory to yourself and to help us to be the best we can be for those that follow us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for joining us for this month's lesson. These six tools are sure to take your leadership to the next level. Our challenge for you is to encourage you to find out which tool you are missing and to add it to your toolbox this month. If you desire to develop your character, the lesson Developing Core Values is for you. And we want to offer it to you for this month only for the special price of $4.95. Call today to get your copy.